Good morning, church. Happy Sabbath to everyone. And thank you, Dr. Mirage, for the praise song. As everyone noticed, the title of the the, the title of my the sermon that I God actually, I believe, asked me to preach about is what am I lacking? I have to say that this is a theme, the story of this young man is a theme that I was obsessed for many a time, probably years. I studied it, I couldn't understand it clearly. It took me quite a while before I went deep enough to understand it and and thank God I believe I have it finally. this is my second time I preach this this uh, message, and interesting enough, I learned something more this time around. Has uh, was read the scripture reading? It's about the rich young ruler. It's also found not just in Matthew nineteen sixteen to thirty, but it's also found in two other. Gospels, Mark and Luke. It also talks about the same story. And I find it very interesting that you need to read the three aspects of this story because you find that there's something different, the wording especially. And it's very important that you read the three of them to really clearly understand what Jesus was talking, was the counsel to this young man. So it talks about a young, a young man that, according to Bible, uh, to the Bible uh, understanding, a young man in the Jewish society was began at puberty. When you're 13 years old, roughly 13 years old. That's when you became a young man. Women was one year before, 12 years old. Interesting enough, the Jews today, they have their bar mitzvah, I think I pronounced it right, at that age. That's when they become, become a, a man or when they reach the puberty. So in other words, a young man can, uh, can be a father. A young woman can be a mother at 12 years old. Understanding enough, it's in some cultures, that's when they got married. Uh, It's possible that this young man was at the age of probably in his, he probably was 18 to 19 years old. We don't know exactly. Because he had a responsibility. He, ha- he was pro- probably, my way of thinking, from where he was living, he was probably a mayor of the town. So he had great responsibility. But not only that, he had it all. He was young and he was rich. He had everything a person dreams of. We don't know why he became... Uh, 
a leader? Or how he inherited all this fortune? Because for sure he didn't work for it. He inherited this fortune most likely from his family, from his dad. We're not sure if the mom was alive still, but normally in, in the Jewish society, the man took over when the, the dad passed away. So it's possible that the dad passed away and he inherited this fortune. What's amazing here is that, uh, and I have to say this, when Jesus met this young man, Jesus, this was this, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And he knew that this was the end. He would reach Calvary. So for sure Jesus never met this young man again. And on his way, going up to Jerusalem, before he passed by Jericho, Jesus was on his way meeting people and trying to preach the kingdom of heaven. It says that when he reached a small town, he, at the end of his preaching, little children came to him and he blessed them. And he blessed them such a way that this young man was present. He kept away. And he found it so touching the way Jesus held these children, loved these children. He felt a kid again. And he, he had a desire to approach Jesus. And the reason was, even though he had everything a person desires in life, he, he was an empty, he was empty, he was lonely. There was something in, that he knew that was missing in his life. I have to stop here and ask you, my brothers and sisters, do you find in your life, in your life, something that is missing? Is it possible? We as Christians, we know it all. We know all the passages of Scripture. Is it possible that we are lacking something in our lives, even as baptized members? It is very possible. Actually, I believe this message is for you and for me. I'll tell you the story, how it began. This young man approached Jesus. He did something that was not normal for a, a, a leader to do. He knelt down at Jesus' feet. And he begged him. And he asked him one very important question. Good master, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? If I asked you this question today, would you be able to answer me? Would I be able to answer this question? Is there anything I can do in life to inherit eternal life? This was the emptiness of this young man. He had it all, but he wasn't happy. The response of Jesus was amazing. And I'm going to touch on these 
certain aspects of what Jesus is saying here to this young man. Because I believe he's talking to us too. I'm going to try, uh, in this sermon, I'm going to try to do something that I haven't done before. It's like, uh, I don't know if anyone that took biology in, in high school, you had to dissect a certain animal, usually frog, right? I think my, my son did that. I wasn't in that. I didn't take uh, biology, so, uh, but I, that's what you do to learn how the animal lives or is able to survive. So you dissect it. You cut piece by piece very carefully the veins, the, the, many things. So I'm going to try to dissect this passage here, especially try to explain what Jesus is saying here because it bothered me for many, many times, for many, many months, many, even, I would say, years. Jesus' response to this young man was interesting because he called him good master. Jesus says, why do you call me good? You know that there's no one good in this earth. He didn't realize he was speaking to the creator of the universe. Right? Jesus tried to get something from him, to speak out. Tell me why you call me good. If I ask you the same question, do you feel that you're good, you're a good Christian? You're a good member of this church? Do you feel that this applies to you too? Good? Are we good? Sometimes we're good, right? Sometimes we do good things. But many a time we don't. Many a time we don't. So in general, we're bad people. We have a sinful nature, right? That's our problem, is that we have a sinful nature. We try to be good, but we are selfish. We're very selfish. Even little ones are selfish, little kids. I see, well, they're grown up now, but when they were little ones, I see the selfishness of little kids. We have to agree, what Jesus is saying is, there's no one good on earth, alive or lived, Unless you know who Jesus is. Because he was perfect. He was good. He was so good. Jesus was so good. Do you know what happened to him? They put him at the cross. They took him to the cross. Because the, the religious leaders couldn't, couldn't deal with a person like that. Because they thought they were good. And Jesus took off their mask. And they said to themselves, we have to get rid of this guy. He's ruining it for us. You know, he's making us look bad. That's why Jesus was, Jesus was so good. They had to kill him. There's uh, some verses I want you to, would like to read regarding who is good on this earth. 
if we are good. And it's verses Romans, Romans 3, 10 to 12. Let's turn to Romans 3, 10 to 12. This is not my Bible, so it's very small print. I'm going to have, I'm going to try to read it. Romans 3, chap, uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. It, let's see if I find it here. Okay. Here we go. As it is written, there is none righteous, not, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. This is scripture talking here. And let's turn. Actually, this is enough. In Psalms 14, chapter 14, 1 to 3. Psalms 53, 1 to 3, and Ecclesiastes 7:20. Even Solomon talks about there's no one good living that ever lived on this earth except one. That is God. So we we can clear that Jesus was telling was telling the truth. There's no one good. Secondly. He tells the young man. Remember that the young man is asking, Lord, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? I got confused when I read this. Jesus is saying, do you know the law? He's talking about the Ten Commandments. In other words, what Jesus is saying here, To have eternal life, we need to obey God's law. Who said that it was abolished? We don't need to keep it anymore. Jesus is telling this young man, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. We know the story that he says, the young man responds, since I was young, I've been keeping the commandments. I was taught, and I'm fulfilling that. What else am I lacking? What am I missing? In interesting. I have to stop here, and let's, let's get something straight here. Is Jesus really saying that we are saved by keeping the law? It sounds like it, right? Keep the law, and you will live. Is that what Jesus is teaching here? We have to go to the Bible and see if that is the case. Let's read Galatians 3.11. Galatians 
I read. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. That's one. Let's read another one. Paul also in Romans 3. Let's look at Romans 3. Romans 3, verse 20. And I read, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So what is, what is Jesus saying here? If we're not justified by keeping the law, what is he saying here? What I believe is the answer is that to be saved, there are conditions. Obeying the law is the condition of being saved. It's not the means. It's not the means to be saved. It's a condition. And there are other conditions. First of all, as we know, to be saved you need to believe in Jesus. You have to accept him as your savior, right? That's the means. No one is going to be saved by keeping the law. As a matter of fact, the Bible is clear that we all are lacking in that aspect. We all fall. We can, we can try our best, right? But we've, we've fallen somehow. We broke the commandments one time or, the, or another. So, But it is a condition to be a citizen of heaven. If you want to be in heaven, you have to abide by the law. You have to be obedient to God. One other condition is we as Christians, we have to give our life to Christ. Paul says, not I that liveth, but Christ lives in me. So that's the other condition of, of eternal life. We have to give ourselves 100% to Christ. That's another condition. Another condition, we need to receive a new birth, a new life. To receive a new, a new life, we have to die to the old one. So there has to be death of the old person. That's another condition. So as you can see, what Jesus is saying to this young man, you're not fulfilling the conditions. To be saved or as a saved person because in his heart he thought he was a good man young 
young, rich, young ruler thought he was good enough. But he, was, he thought, well, maybe I need to do something. Maybe I have to give more money away to the poor. I believe he did help the poor, right? I believe so. He was respected. He thought something easy like that. Something that he had to do. Maybe, maybe go to Jerusalem like, the, like most of the uh, Muslim people do. They go to Arabia there to worship. Maybe I have to go to Jerusalem at least once in my lifetime. Maybe that's, I need to do that. No, Jesus is saying, no, you're, you're not fulfilling the conditions. The story goes that Jesus told, tells the young man, I have the solution for you. I have the solution. But it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy for you. See, Jesus looked at the he, he, he looked at that young man and he could read him. He knew exactly what was going on in his life. I, I truly believe that uh, the Holy Spirit prepared Jesus for this. He told everything about this young man. The reason I say the Holy Spirit is, you know, there's a part that Jesus says that I give up everything. I have no nothing. Everything that I do is according to my father. He tells me what to do. He tells me what to say. And I believe the Holy Spirit prepared Jesus for that encounter. And he knew exactly everything about this young man. And he knew that this young man was sick. Did you, did you ever think about that? This young man had a terminal sickness. He was going to die. If he didn't do what Jesus was telling him to do, he was going to die. But this death was spiritual death. See, the problem with this young man is that he loved what he had. He, lo he loved the prestige and he loved his possessions. He couldn't live without them. So when Jesus told them, counseled them, Go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. No, give 50% uh, I'll keep. No, Jesus actually says, give it to the poor, all of it. I can imagine Judas Iscariot when he heard that. He must have been fuming. What is Jesus saying? You know, let's keep some of it for ourselves here. I can imagine. I must have, I was ready to explode. Jesus says, give it all to the poor. And you'll have a treasure in heaven. What you have is no value to me. It's no value to you. You're going to lose it all. Interesting enough, if this young man lived to be 80s or so on, or 85, I don't know, he probably witnessed the invasion of the Romans in Jerusalem. Because 70 years later, we know that the Romans invaded and dispersed all the Jews. If he had everything, if he had a family, or if he, even if he passed away and passed on his inheritance to his kids, his kids would have lost everything. Because all Jews were dispersed, as you know. They lost everything. 
So, it's the, the story goes that the young man went away sad because he, was, he had so much possessions. He couldn't take that. Let me ask you another question. Do you think this was extreme on the part of Jesus? Why, why didn't he ask for, you know what? Give 20% to the poor. You can keep the rest. Have somebody manage your properties and follow me. You could have said that, right? Or you could have said, give 50% away. You know, let's figure. If you're a millionaire, multimillionaire, 50% is nothing. Right? It's nothing. He could have said, give 90% away. So, in, in human terms, this was very extreme. It was hard for me to understand this too. Until I realized, it's like I said before, this young man had a terminal sickness. The only cure for him was to get rid of everything he had. Because he was attached to him. He was attached to his possessions. He was attached to his prestige. To his, the respect he had from everyone. This is unthinkable. If we, if we ask somebody like that, they think we're crazy. But Jesus knew that what he had in possession was going to destroy him. And later in life, the more he had, the more that he wanted. He would never have enough time for Christ, for Jesus. Actually, he proved to himself, Jesus proved to himself, you said you kept the commandments. But you have an idol. You have an idol. You're not fulfilling the commandments after all. You're, you trust more in your riches than you trust in what I'm saying. Actually, in Mark, that's why I said that we need to read the, the three stories of the three Gospels. Because it is in Mark that says that when Jesus tells the, his, his, his followers, his apostles, truly I tell you, it's very difficult for a rich man to enter heaven. If we just stop there and think about it, then it's best not to be rich. Right? It's best not to be rich. Let's be poor. That's, what, that's not what Jesus was saying. And the answer is, when he says, truly I tell you, little children, it's very difficult for anyone that trusts in money to enter heaven. See, this is the, the answer is right there. So the problem is not the money. It's not being rich. It's good to be rich. Come on. If we're all rich, we can do a lot with money. We can do a lot. We can help. We can, we can promote the kingdom of God. We can benefit many people. Thank God for rich people because otherwise we wouldn't have a job. Right? We wouldn't have a job. So we shouldn't be jealous of rich people. They, they're blessed. And God blesses people like that. The reason some of us are not rich is probably a good thing. Right? Maybe we would lose our, our, our salvation. So... 
riches aren't the problem. It's if we trust the the money instead of trusting God and trusting trusting the Word of God. You know, we're we're talking about the stewardship this this quarter, and we've read so many so many verses. You know what? It's a question of trust. Do you really have faith in what God is saying to you, or oh, I don't know about that. Ten percent plus an offering. You know, maybe we should. Our prayer should be saying, "Lord, I can't afford it, but give me a means so that I can give, return the tithe." I don't like the word "pay" because we're not paying anything. We're we're returning what's already God's, right? We're returning to God what is already God's, and the purpose is the advancement of of the kingdom of God. So the problem isn't money; it's trust. I trust money more, and if I have enough, I'm better off. Before I continue, I went. I googled. Uh, millionaires, some of the some millionaires in the world today and I was shocked when I saw this did you know that uh, it, it mentions the 10 some of the 10 most well I won't say top most some 10 millionaires let's put it this way, 10 millionaires had a plenty of money I'm going to mention some of the names. Ten millionaire businessmen. Anybody heard of Jonathan Wait? Wraith? Ellie M. Black? Hubert Baumister? Christopher Foster? A Chinese business, businessman called Wayne Pai? Paul Castle? Peter Smedley, Howard Worthington, Ray, Ray Jane Uy is also a Chinese businessman. Anybody heard about these, these men? Did you know that they committed suicide? All of them committed suicide. Mo- the average age is 35 years old. Jonathan Waite, the first person, an English young man. 35 years old committed suicide. He had over $46 million. Eli M. Black, Jewish businessman, in his 50s. 49, 50s. This is the average age. They all committed suicide. What is it telling us? Money is not the solution. It's not the answer. Having lots of money is not the answer. I also read this uh, old Japanese man. He was in his 75, 76 years old. He did something that I I can't imagine. You have to have courage to do this. There's a high-speed train in Japan. Place to go into Tokyo, whatever. He dosed himself with gasoline. And he told everyone, keep away, this is too dangerous. And someone, someone saw tears in his eyes. And he 
and he lit himself on fire. 75, 76 years old, committed suicide. You know why? No purpose in life. Lonely. Didn't have anything to live for. Something else that I read. In the USA, there's an average of 1,100 suicides in U.S. universities. Have you ever heard of this? I was, I was amazed. 1,100 students commit suicide. Why? They can't make it. It's too much for them. They're overwhelmed. They feel they're not, they've been, uh, they're no, their grades too low. They won't make it in life. They're not, it won't be a success. They prefer to die than to live. Isn't that sad? You cannot buy eternal life. If that was possible, then we would be the lowest on the list. Right? We would be the lowest. Thank God that he took the, the tree of life away. Because I believe if there was, if it was still here, it would probably be in the hands of half a dozen people. Thank God he took it away. Eternal life cannot be bought. It's a free gift. It's a free, a free gift. Thank God. Look how much Jesus, how much we should love Jesus. Because we know we can't, we're not good enough to obey the law of God. But, when you give your life to Christ, when you are born again, and you Pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Then, with, with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I believe it's possible to be obedient to God. And if we fall into sin, we know that we have, a, like the Bible says, we have a lawyer, an advocate, that will fight for us. Obedience is very important because... That's how Adam and Eve were able to live in Eden. When they disobeyed, they were kicked out, right? They had to obey. Once they disobeyed, they lost eternity. I believe, and according to the Bible, in order to receive grace, the gift, we must be willing to obey God, no matter what it does, what it takes. Regarding the law of God, there's also a passage here. It's Mark 10, 27. I want to read this because I think it's, it's interesting too. Mark 10. Mark 10, 
I don't think this is a passage I wanted. Unless I'm in the wrong... Okay, let's see. Okay. Mm. 27. This is not what I wanted? Yes. Twenty-six and twenty-seven. No, this is not what I wanted to. This is not the passage I wanted. You all know the story. There was a, a a doctor of the law where Jesus was preaching, and he th- he thought it this way. Who does this guy think he is? You know, remember, most of the doctors of the law they they had they were. F- full of themselves they, th- they thought they knew it all they were self righteous people and there's one doctor of the law that went to Jesus in a sarcastic way trying to trick him and said Jesus what do, I, what do we need to do to inherit eternal life this is another same, same uh, question here and Jesus, knowing what he was trying to do, he, he tells them, how do you read the law? How do we explain? How do you express it? How do you interpret the law? And uh, the doctor of law said, well, we must love God with all our knowledge, with all our strength, with all our mind, Luke 10. Oh, sorry. Then I put Mark. I don't know why. Luke 10. Okay, let's go to Luke 10 then. Let's read it. Luke 10. 25, right? Okay. Ah, thank you. Thank you very much. Luke 10, 25. And it says, I'm going to read it really. I hope I have enough time. I look at my wife and she tells me, do I have enough time? I'm going over. Almost at, almost at the end. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? He's talking about the law again. Right? So the law has to do with eternal life. Obedience to the law is very important. What is your reading of it? So he answered, and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So the law of God has this, this meaning. It's, it's condensed in two, in one word, love. Love God and love people. What's interesting is that when Jesus, when Jesus, Jesus answers them, you answered correctly. Now, go and do it. He must have felt really small. You know, who is this guy telling me? Doctor of the law? Go and do it? And you know what? To justify himself, what did he say? Oh, who is my neighbor? You know, who is my neighbor here? Well, that's... The fulfillment of the law is love God with all your strength, your might, your knowledge, your strength. 
and love people as yourself. That is the answer, right? So, you know, concluding my sermon here, we all need a purpose in life. We all need a purpose. The world's purpose is to get filthy rich and live it up. Whatever you please to do, do it. Don't care if it's going to hurt somebody or not. Just do it. That's the success of, of in the purpose or the meaning of life in the worldly terms. In God's terms, it's totally different. In God's, for Christians, our purpose is what Jesus meant, what God meant it to be before, before sin came to this world, which was plant, create, build, eat, be merry, be happy. You know, there's nothing wrong in eating and have pleasure in eating. No, of course, if you overdo it, then it's called gluttony. Got gluttony? You know? But we should enjoy food. You know, vegetarian food especially has to be tasty. Please, don't, don't make food that's not tasty. It's not pleasurable, right? Even Ellen White talks about that. But, you know, there's, there's, there's pleasures in life here on earth. We can have, you know, go on vacation. You know, there's so many things we can do, and God wants us to be happy. But especially the purpose for us today as a church, and the pastor mentioned that last week. I didn't go in, the, I didn't get up in, in the court. I, I left, I, 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 eventually I, I got up because I realized, wait a second, what is my purpose as an, a Seventh-day Adventist? It's just coming to church, reading the Bible, discussing the Bible school, giving my personal opinion, and go home and that's it? That's what life is all about? Has to be more. There has to be more. And what Jesus really intends us for us to be is, is and the, this is the best thing, is that it was mentioned in Sabbath school, the more you give, the more you get back. The more blessed you are. And we know for a fact there is a need. I think this morning, people need the Lord. People need the Lord. We need the Lord. We need the Lord to change our hearts, to change our way of thinking. Eventually, we're going to have to face Jesus and, says, and, and tell him, Lord, because he's going to ask, have I, what have you done with the time I gave you on earth? What's going what's to be our answer? What's going to be my answer? I, really I want to be involved in, 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 in God's ministry. I need to be. Otherwise, life has no purpose. Otherwise, what's the point? I'm just going to leave an inheritance for my kids. And my kids are going to leave it for my grandkids. Is that what life is all about? It has to be more. We know for a fact we're here temporarily. Our, our nation, our, our kingdom hasn't come yet. 
We're just strangers. We're just like immigrants in this world. It is my prayer that we meditate what I, in what I just said. Because, believe me, or at least believe these 10 millionaires, you know, life isn't just enjoyment and money. There is more. And Jesus is willing to teach us and make us truly happy. This is my prayer today. Amen.